Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we're in a, a fifth week of a series that we started uh, called Meals with Jesus. So if you're just joining us, uh, we have been journeying through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been kind of eavesdropping on these conversations that Jesus is having with various people around a meal. And uh, the, I've argued since the beginning of the series, I was gone for a couple of the weeks, but that sharing a meal with somebody is, is one of the best places to learn about yourself and also to learn about other people. Just taking that kind of focused time in, in a world that's moving so fast, it's good to slow down and actually enjoy a meal and get to know each other. Something really important about that. Uh, my wife and I, we recently got back from a trip to Michigan. We go back there every year to visit my family. I got a, a picture to show you of the chaos that gathered. Uh, it's, it's comical <laughs> what happens when you slam this many families together around a meal. Uh, because what happens when you try to get this many people around a meal, especially in a small cottage in northern Michigan, is you tend to see the best kind of come out of people, and you see the worst come out of people. Do you know what I mean? When you're trying to, especially when you're trying to get food, especially four or five days into the vacation when everybody's ready to be home in their own bed, and they're exhausted because nobody's sleeping really well, and the cousins are having a blast, and they're driving you a little bit crazy because they're having such a blast. Like, you, you see the, the beautiful parts of who you are, we, we see the beautiful parts of who our family is, but we also see some of the ugliness that just lurks underneath the surface. This happens every time we get together, and it's a reminder, when we get into this kind of gathering, we, we are keenly aware that we need Jesus. Like, I'm keenly aware that I, I need Jesus to rescue me from myself, I need Jesus to rescue me from my family. My family needs Jesus to rescue them from me. Like, this is what happens uh, when we gather around a meal. And, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, because I think that Jesus is actually present in that. And, and he, he's well aware that we need him. And I think in the midst of those gatherings, he's going, yes, yes, and I'm here to guide you. And that's kind of what we've been discovering throughout these meals we've examined in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus would strike up a conversation. Hearts would be revealed. People would become aware of things that maybe they weren't aware of before. And then Jesus would guide them and teach them about what it meant to follow him and follow his, his lead. I loved uh, Shannon's message last week. She, she made this comment about when you sit at the feet of Jesus, when you make time to sit at the feet of Jesus, he just may actually speak to you. And most of the time, we don't make time for it because we know he's going to speak to us and he's probably going to ask us to change some things. And so we don't carve out the time because, oh, he's going to talk to us about the thing that he's been talking to us about for a while. And so, eh, we'll just tune into another episode on Netflix. Come on, you're with me, right? In the end, it's really all about coming underneath the word of Jesus and aligning ourselves to his way. That's what it's about. That's what this life is about. It's, it's about bringing our lives under the authority and leadership of Jesus, listening to what he has to say to us, and, 
and living out what he calls us, what he calls us to. And Jesus was an absolutely perfect teacher because he didn't just teach with his words. He didn't just use his mouth. He, he modeled with his life and his actions. He taught and he demonstrated through his teaching. And he calls us to this as well, that we would be a people that confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that people could look at our life and say, Jesus is Lord of their life. This is what he calls us to. And my guess is you've had a few experiences in your life where somebody says one thing and then does something else. And, and when that happens, when somebody communicates one thing, this could be a friend or a loved one or a spouse or a boss or a neighbor, when somebody communicates one thing and then lives something different, there's often pain and confusion and frustration that kind of comes to the surface in that. Like, how, why is this happening? And we've all ex experienced this. This happens in our personal lives. This happens with leaders that we don't know. This happens with uh, leaders of the nation and the world. We, we experience the disconnect and something inside of us goes, this isn't right. There's something wrong here. Being with little kids really helps you uh, understand how often what you say doesn't match what you do. For those of you that have young kids or raised kids, you get to experience this all the time. Uh, sadly, I can't count the number of times that I have been in the living room with my two small children, and uh, they're playing a game, and a fight breaks out, and the volume starts to rise, and they start battling each other, and, <laughs> and then I come into the room and, and yell something like, yelling at each other does not solve anything! And then I just take my foot and I place it in my mouth. <laughs> How often do we do stuff like that? Or maybe you've done this one. Maybe you, um, you've had people in your house that are a little too attached to these and, and so you've got some correction for them. Man, you're spending way too much time on your phone or your computer as you're staring into your phone or your computer. Gosh, I wish you just wouldn't be on your phone so much. When what we say doesn't match what we do, there's a disconnect, and it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. What's absolutely amazing about Jesus is he never ran into this problem. Never. What he said, he did. He perfectly demonstrated a life that was aligned. What he said is what he did. What he taught is what he modeled. He didn't miss it at all. And this was God's intention really for all of us from the very beginning of time, that we'd be a people that would embody his heart, would embody his life on this earth, perfectly aligned in what we say and do according to his design and his purpose. When God breathed life into Adam and Eve in the very beginning of, of Genesis, the text says that we were created in his image, the Imago Dei. Adam and Eve were designed to embody and to reflect the goodness of their creator. And it went sideways real quick. They were deceived. And now we live in a world that's distorted and confused and frustrating because we didn't walk in the way the Lord designed us to walk. When Jesus came, he came to restore 
and to mend and to heal what is broken and distorted. The Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as the second Adam, meaning that in Jesus, we actually have a picture, once again, of who we were meant to be at the very beginning. He perfectly embodied humanity as it was intended. He didn't mess anything up like we all do very well. And so here's what happened throughout the Gospels, and this is what happens still today. When we draw near to Jesus, when we lean in, when we're listening for his voice, or in the case of this series, when these people would gather around Jesus, around a meal, they came face to face with the perfect way of God and the imperfect way in which they lived. And, and some people uh, were broken by this reality. It was a humbling experience, and they found themselves at the feet of Jesus, receiving forgiveness and healing and restoration. Some people in this revelation got mad. They became aggressive and frustrated on what Jesus was shining a light on. And they, they became opponents of Jesus and his way. Isn't this happened today? When Jesus is doing a work in us, we're either humbled and we come to him broken, and he's the only one who can heal us, or when he begins to shine a light on our life, we become aggressive and defensive and maybe offensive and <laughs> trying to protect our own way. Let's turn to Luke 14 now. Let's see how this plays out in our meal today with Jesus. Here's the context. Luke 14, verse 1, gives us the context. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So he goes into this meal with the ruler of the Pharisees, and, and just as a, as a refresher, Jesus, wherever he went, when he began his ministry, people followed him. And, and they followed him to, to study him, to critique him, to question him. Some people, they, they really wanted to know, who is this guy? Because there's, there's this, this wake of healing and feeding, and they're like, how can this guy do this? I'm, I want to know what he has to say. I want to know who he is. Like, I got to spend time with him. And some people followed him because they were like, this guy is creating a problem for all of us because the things that we want to do and gather people towards, he's like leading them away from. And so we got to stop this guy. We got to imprison this guy. We got to kill this guy. Can you, imagine, can you just imagine being under that kind of scrutiny and pressure every waking moment? Can you, can you imagine living in, in Jesus' shoes as crowds gathered around him and the pressure just mounted? I, I had a really great conversation from, uh, with some guys in my group on Tuesday about the importance of being uh, surrounded by community around people that that, that love you and know you and love the Lord and can kind of walk with you. And, and one of the major barriers of living life with other people is, is a fear of being exposed. Like if people, it, we, we think to ourselves, if people really knew who I was, if people really knew the questions that I had, if people... If people really understood the failures in my life, if they really knew the past, my past, if they really understood the frustrations that I carry, 
the pain that I carry. If, if people knew uh, who I was, would I look silly and incompetent? These things are barriers and these fears kind of build up and they keep us from being in community with other people. Jesus, he didn't have any of these fears. None of these fears. He wasn't concerned about what may be uncovered in his life. In fact, he wanted his life to be uncovered completely. And he lived completely open in community so that we could understand who God is and who his heart is. He was the perfect embodiment of God's heart and desire for all of us. He was light in the darkness. And so in Luke 14, Jesus, the light of the world, he sits down at this dinner meal with religious leaders, and there's a ton of other people we'll see. And there are a number of things that the light of the world shines a light on. And so let's look at these things together. Luke 14, continuing in verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So the the first thing that Jesus shines a light on while sharing this meal with these lawyers and Pharisees, is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Jesus, in asking this question, he knows how they think about the law. He's, he, he's well aware of how the, the Pharisees and lawyers think. They were meticulous about law-keeping. In fact, they, they had created, on top of the law that God given, had given the people, they added another layer of laws as a protective fence just to keep people from accidentally breaking the law. And so they put all, particularly with the Sabbath, hundreds of laws of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath just so that you don't break the Sabbath. Jesus is aware of this. And he's well aware that when he asks the question, is it lawful to heal, that they're thinking, no, it's not lawful to heal because that's going to be work. And then he goes on and he heals. (laughs) He heals a man to demonstrate, again, the heart of God. Because they misunderstood the heart of God. That's what happened with the Pharisees and Lords. They added all these laws and they moved farther and farther from the heart of God. And they were living in their own religion. And Jesus demonstrated the heart of God. And then after the healing, it got personal. And this is where the hypocrisy was revealed. Because he turns to the lawyers and, and the Pharisees and he says, okay, let's just make this personal for you. If you had a son or some livestock, and they were hurting on the Sabbath. Wouldn't you go and help your own kid? Here's the thing with the Pharisees. A lot of the things that they said you had to live in, they didn't actually do themselves. Here's all the laws that you have to do, but maybe we don't actually follow all the laws. And Jesus was brilliant at shining a light on these inconsistencies in people. (laughs) those who are so passionate about keeping all these things, like, you can't even keep your own laws. In fact, it's silly to keep your own laws. You would save your son. 
He would save your ox. And the heart of God for his people is to restore and to mend. The, the heart of the Sabbath is restorative. It's not meant to be destructive or condemning. It's not the point of the Sabbath. And so he helps them understand by pointing out their hypocrisy. And so here's the good news. <laughs> maybe, maybe it won't feel like good news. <laughs> if you desire to follow Jesus, if you desire to align your heart to the way of Jesus, here's what I can guarantee. He will faithfully shine a light on hypocrisy in your life. Not because he's some evil person. It's actually he wants to free you from that kind of living. He wants to pull you into the light so that you're no longer living separate lives. And there's freedom there. And there's forgiveness there. He's calling you to himself to point those things out. As we continue in the text, he shifts from focusing on the Pharisees and the lawyers to the crowd as a whole. Let's continue verse 7. It says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friends, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So as Jesus is sitting at this meal, kind of observing the crowds that are gathering, he, he notices something. People are coming into this meal, and they're beginning to kind of jockey and, and posture and try to position themselves in the best places. He, he just, it's plain as day to him. And he shines a light on another thing. He shines a light on the pride that's present in the room. And I, I think we, we're, we're very familiar with this. Pride is an issue. It goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. Kind of wanting things to be on our terms, the way we define them. And, and we, we grow up and we, we go to school and we, we begin to learn kind of how to judge ourselves and other people based on our accomplishments. And so whenever we walk into a, a school setting as a young kid, we're trying to figure out where do we fit kind of in the pecking order and who's important and who's not. Like, we're, we're trained as a culture how to do this. This continues. This, is, this happens in adulthood, too. Have you ever attended a, a party or an event or church? And when you walk in, you're trying to figure out, where do I fit here? How do I fit here? In the Navy, maybe uh, this is about your rank or your years of service or things you've accomplished. Uh, maybe at your workplace, this is about revenue that's earned, or clients you serve. In church, maybe we compare ourselves, like those people seem to know a lot about the Bible. I don't know if I know that much about the Bible. That person feels like they get worship. I don't know if I get... So we kind of position ourselves. Here's what happens. There's, there's pride actually underneath all of that. Because what we're doing is we're defining some people are less than us. We try to position ourselves above some but below others. So, so we're determining, here's what I deserve and here's what they deserve. 
And when Jesus sat at this meal with this group of people, he saw this going on, and he offered some advice. And here's what, this was his advice. He said, hey, don't play that game. Just don't play the game. Choose humility. Don't try to climb to the top or, or be the best or be above some. Just play a different game entirely. Choose humility. Don't worry about position. Don't worry about acknowledgement. Don't worry about your status. Don't worry about climbing the ladder. Choose humility. Let God sort out the rest. Those who humble themselves, God will exalt how he wants to exalt them. Those who exalt themselves, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be humbled. <laughs> so Jesus says, live a different way. Don't play the game. Humble yourself. He shines a light on the pride in all of us. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, he picks up on this idea in talking about Jesus. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the worst way to die. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Again, Paul reminds us that Jesus didn't just talk about these things. He modeled them. If anybody had the right to walk into this dinner party and go, I'm the man. Where's the place of honor? Where's the best seat in the house? Because I do it all right. It was Jesus. And yet, when God entered humanity, he came as a baby. He humbled himself to walk the life that we walk. He taught it and he showed us, this is what it looks like to live with me. It's beautiful. If you hang around Jesus, he's going to constantly shine a light on pride and he's going to model the way of humility. He's going to invite you into that. Continuing in the text, verse 12. Jesus is just warming up. Uh, Verse 12 says this, He said also to the man who invited him, so now he turns to the host, he's talked to the Pharisees and lawyers, he's talked to the guests, now he looks at the guy who set this thing up, talks to him. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So he shines a light on hypocrisy and pride. Here he shines a light on selfishness. 
I don't think that Jesus is discouraging gatherings of friends and family. I think that he's pointing at the motivations of our hearts. And we live in a world where we give to, to get. We, we live in a world where we're, we're trying to figure out always, what's in it for me? And, and this is true anywhere that you go. And unfortunately, this, this has become true even in the body of Christ. Have you noticed conversations around being a part of a church? What's in it for me? We're like misunderstanding the whole point when we ask that question. This is the world we live in. This is the culture that we swim in. We leverage our connections and our networks and our relationships all to serve ourselves. And Jesus, he shines a light on this selfishness and he offers an an alternative. He says, what if we didn't give to get? What if we gave just to give? What if, what if we recognized needs and we leveraged what we had to just bless? Not caring what came back. What, what if we took what God has given us and we just poured it in to care for others and we didn't even think about, am I going to get something back from this? Is this going to benefit me in some way? According to Jesus, that kind of generosity has eternal significance. Because what he talks about in, this, in the story that he tells is those who create a world to serve themselves, well, on this earth, they're going to get certain benefits. But those who live with a heart that's selfless, that, that leverages who they are to care for others, those things will last for eternity not just on this side of eternity, but for all eternity. And this is what he invites us into. To live a life where we take what we've been given, our gifts and our talents and our resources, and we say, God, how can I serve and bless and care for and use what I have for the good of others? This is, this is why I consider... Um, giving to my local church a a blessing to me. I'm speaking for me personally. Because here's the thing. I have a selfish and self-centered heart. And there's something about generosity that breaks that selfishness. And so every time we, we do automatic giving, and every time that email comes through and I see our giving, it reminds me this is who I am as a follower of Jesus. <laughs> this is what it looks like to leverage my life. And I need that because my heart can just turn inward. Well, what can I do with that money? What can I, what can I do with that extra margin? <laughs> what can I get? I'm going to train this selfish inward heart. I'm going to train it. Because Jesus calls us to live differently. And there's blessing that go, it's, it's greater than any earthly thing that we could gain. As the meal's coming to a close, uh, Jesus has one more lesson to teach. Verse 15. It says this, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. 
So, so in response, the, this response is actually natural. You, you would do this too if you were in this meal. But he hears Jesus talking about the generosity and caring for the poor and the sick and the lame. And, and he goes, this is amazing. Like, everybody's in. The kingdom of God, like, everybody is at the table. This is, this is awesome. Are you guys listening to Jesus? This is incredible. It's available for all. And this is what frustrated the Pharisees, really, about Jesus. Because they had drawn lines on, like, who deserves things and who doesn't. And when Jesus showed up, he started doing things that didn't fit with their systems. And they're like, you got to stop that. That's not how, you know, godly people work. He's like, I don't know if you ever made that face, but I picture him like, God demonstrated to them who Jesus really was. He extended grace to all people. But in this moment, don't miss this. Jesus finds it necessary to clarify to this man that everyone is extended grace. Everyone is given an invitation, but not everybody receives it. Not everybody responds to it. In some ways, Jesus is addressing, and we would talk about this as universalism today, that everybody's in at the end. Why are we worrying about all of this? Everybody's in. Jesus tells a story here. Just follow the story. Because he makes it clear that well, maybe we misunderstand if we go that direction. Listen to this. Verse 16. It says, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet." So Jesus kind of unpacks the, the history of his people. A, a people that responded at first, but then made their own way and had plenty of reasons to not respond to him anymore. In this case, Jesus shines a light on our excuses. And here's the thing, friends. We live in a time where, where grace is, is extended to all. God is, is so kind and he's so gracious that he's given his life for us and he, he's called us to himself. He's, he's given us an invitation. Come and follow me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Just follow me. Put your hope in me. Come to me if you're, if you're weary and burdened and I, I can give you rest. He, he invites us to himself. 
But how often when Jesus is saying, come and follow me, do we say, oh, yeah. Just a minute. I've got some stuff I've got to go do. Or he says, hey, I want you to, I want you to look at this particular part of, of your life. And we say, ah, that's great. No thanks. The invitation, he is so kind and so generous in his invitation, but we don't always respond. And I think the heart of Jesus breaks when we don't accept life that he freely gives. I I think his heart is shattered when he calls us into something that he created us for and we say, "Eh, I'm going to live in something that I've created for myself. He calls us to himself. We can choose to follow. He never takes away our free will. He never takes away our choice. We can choose to follow or not. We can respond to his invitation or not. This remains so true for us today. Worship team, you guys can come as, as we close. The, this is one of those meals. As I was getting ready, I was talking to the staff a little bit. I'm like, I don't know how we're going to get. This meal is intense. There's a lot in this meal. There's a lot of ground that's covered. But here's what I love about this and what I love about Jesus at this meal. When he came into this meal, he had something for everybody at the meal. He had something to say. He had something to speak. He had something to shine a light on. He had some some invitation that he was offering to everybody that was there. He started with the lawyers and the Pharisees. He kind of addressed them. He addressed the guests as a whole. He, he went to the host. He talked to the host. And then he offers this thing at the end where he explains something to somebody who misunderstood. That's for everybody that was there. And so when we come to the table, so to speak, when we gather in the name of Jesus, you know what the good news is? He wants to speak to all of us. And he has something that he wants to say, that he wants to shine a light on, that he wants to invite us into when we gather in his name. That's the beauty of following Jesus. He knows each of our stories, and he knows what we need. So so here's the thing today, by his spirit, what is he talking to you about? Is he shining a light on hypocrisy today? Again, understand that he shines a light to restore and to heal. So don't, don't receive this as co- condemnation. It's, it's an invitation. Is he shining a light on hypocrisy? Is he shining a light on pride? Maybe there's parts of your heart that has been playing the game and climbing the ladder and looking at some one way and others another way and, and, and the Lord's talking to you about that today. And he's inviting you into into a way of humility. Maybe he's shining a light on selfishness. Come on, doesn't he do that at all of us? Jesus, help us. (laughs) Is he shining a light on excuses today? 